Happy Tuesday, February 7th. We're in Ephesians chapter 2 today. This is Between the Lines. I'm Junior. And I'm Scott. And Junior, you brought up that it's February 7th. Uh, I I think of this every time it's February 7th. It's funny how you don't forget some of these things, but it's my dad's birthday today. And he's, it's hard to believe. I mean, you remember when he passed. He's been gone 24 years. I, I I still grieve his loss. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I still have uh, his fishing lure hanging in my truck. And I think you mirror. caught. You've caught? I caught my first, uh, yeah, I caught my first northern with that lure. Yeah. So cool. it's kind of fun when I caught that. But well, Let's get right into it. And right. uh, you said it's my turn to read? It's your turn to read, Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, which of course is just the natural result of turning away from God. That's what sin is. That it kills us spiritually. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And this is a reminder. And of course, again, we know this is the second time through Ephesians, which is a good thing because we learn more as we repeat. And I I truly do hope that you read on Saturday and Sunday, because of course, we're not going to get to Ephesians 5 this week either, because it'll be on the weekend, but such a practical couple of chapters there that that I hope you read this last weekend. If not, go back and and read that. But here again, um, we're, we're in verse two. He is the spirit at work. That's the devil, the evil one. There is this real unseen world. There really is a spiritual world out there. There is spiritual war that's going on. The evil one, he hates you. He does not want you to fulfill your purpose. He doesn't want you to have a fulfilled life. He'll fake himself and make it look as though he's going to be really attractive, but he does not care about you. He hates well, you. And I like how straight he's shooting here because right now, at least in our time, the rhetoric is more of, you know, well, you're kind of giving into your feelings or, you know, you, you go do you, you do you. But you doing you is really what Paul says here. You're obeying the devil. It's not you do you. You're obeying the devil. That's what that is. And, and in we, a sense, it's what the devil wants you to do is you do you because that means you're not doing what God wants. Right. Okay, so this is the devil. He's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse three, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. That's doing what we feel like doing. By our own very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. That's what we brought upon ourselves. But God, verse four, but God is so rich in mercy and he loves us, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And that's that's the source of our real life, life that can be fulfilled, life that goes all the way into eternity. The source of it is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. We, we, were, we died with Christ vicariously, meaning in his place, and we are raised with Christ vicariously, that that we gain a new life because of Jesus' new life. So he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And so essentially Paul is saying that even though you're still living on the earth here today, because when by faith you become attached to Jesus, that your sin died with Jesus, you have received this new eternal life, and in a sense, positionally, we are seated with Christ in heaven. We don't have to worry about getting to heaven in a spiritual sense, we are already there. So when we pass from this life into the next, we automatically assume that position that God has granted us through Jesus. Verse seven then. So God can point us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace 
and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are unlimited with Christ Jesus. United. Yeah. United. You said unlimited. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought you were emphasizing being united with Christ. I I suppose it is. You know, you're kind of, I guess, unlimited in Jesus Christ's freedom. (laughs) Yeah, but we don't want to add to the scriptures, do we? (laughs) For God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's work masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. You know what I love here? In the 10 verses, I was just counting as you were reading here. In the 10 verses, the first 10 verses in chapter 2, there is close to 30 plural pronouns here which is really interesting because in the next section, he's going to get into the oneness. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. you know, more of the oneness. But in the first 10 verses, there's almost 30 plural pronouns, which he's not getting at, but it does show there is this corporate-ness mm-hmm. to our faith mm-hmm. that, yes, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but if you look at all of those plural pronouns, God has saved us. God is bringing us together. God has seated us together. There is this pluralness to our faith. Yeah. We live in community, and God is working in our community. And that was God's perspective from the very beginning, that he wanted to save for himself a people, a family. And so we were saved to be a part of that family. What stands out to me on this, though, is there's such a perception that God is this grumpy old man in heaven ready to pounce on us for everything that we do wrong. And here Paul is emphasizing that we've already done a ton of things wrong. But instead, he's emphasizing his kindness, his mercy, his grace. You have to know that God loves you beyond any other love in this world. God's love for you is so intense, so strong. He cares about you. Yeah, it's actually... So the first time around when we read through Ephesians chapter 2 actually changed. One of the things I pray for in the morning now is God, may I just know how much you love me today? Mm. Not asking God to like do great things for me that, you know, so I can feel love, but I just want to know how loved I am by you because when I know that, I'm going to be more confident in mm-hmm. who you are and I'm going to be more bold in mm-hmm. talking about you because I know of your love. It's a great, you want great to verse 10 verses. Yeah, verse 11 says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Now, last time we read through this, you know, we kind of joked about, let's talk about circumcision. It's like, well, let's rather not. <laughs> but there are, there's a lot of confusion over circumcision. Yeah, we realize it's kind of there, a weird thing. We have a lot of unchurched people in, our, in yeah. our church that don't have a background in religion at all and don't even understand what it right. is. So why is this in the Bible so much? It actually goes back to Abraham. When God promised Abraham, said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Abraham was an old man. He's like thinking this is impossible. And God made that covenant by cutting Abraham where his seed would come from. Mm-hmm. So just to show Abraham, this is a sign that this nation isn't coming from you. It's coming from me. And you're going to remember that by this right here. And so that kind of became then the, the tradition of, of God's people. I'm making the mark a great of the nation. people. Yep. So that's where, where, that's where that, that comes from. And and Paul's point here is that they put so much confidence in being God's people because of circumcision that this is what set them apart. And it, w- it was just a sign that they had been set apart, that they lost out the spirit behind all of this and the faith that 
was necessary for Abraham to not just go under, undergo that procedure, but to believe God, to leave his family behind, to go into this new place and to believe that God was going to give him yeah. offspring. Yeah. And so that's what they missed out. And that's Paul's point here. It's not about the physical circumcision. It's about being having that faith in God. And we must remember too, when the church originally read this, the church in Ephesus, it wasn't a weird thing for them. Now, for us, it is like, oh, gosh, talking about circumcision and that area and all of that, it's yeah, weird. Talking about the genitals is yeah. taboo in our day, and, but it and, wasn't And then. it's not that bad of a taboo. It's probably a good boundary for us to have, to yeah. have that awkwardness sure. to talk about it. But during this time, it really wasn't so so uh, so weird, I should say. Verse 12 says, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. So this is before Jesus when they were you know, Gentiles. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And I want to remind everybody again, we talked about this last week, but again, that's why I like to repeat uh, these chapters, the union with Christ. It's a theology, union with Christ, Mm -hmm. that everything that we have that is of any value is because of our attachment to Jesus. We're united to him through his death and his resurrection. And because of that, we can be united with him in eternity in heaven. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. I love that thought, especially the beginning of verse 14, Mm -hmm. for Christ himself has brought peace to us. What will bring peace to you today is not going to be that coworker calling in sick. It's not gonna be the boss not showing up in the office. What will really bring peace to you today is Christ himself. Mm-hmm. Says he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Meaning two groups, meaning... Jew and Gentile. Jew, Jew and Gentile, yes. but And we could even say multiple groups because the division there in the minds of most of these people had to do with the Jewish-Gentile divide. But yeah. today we find so much more division that there's all kinds of – there's yeah. political parties that separate people, ideology that separates people. There's ethnicities that separate people. And all, of, all of these divisions can be broken down when we come to Christ. And it's one new people, meaning followers of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Our hostility toward Toward each each other other was put to death on the cross. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And which is the basis of that unity because we all have the same Holy Spirit. If we have come to Christ, we have the same Holy Spirit living within us. If there is still that hostility towards others, that could be an indicator that the Holy Spirit isn't there, that there's not been genuine repentance and faith because when God is at work, he brings people together. Yep. Well, Proverbs chapter seven is the. We still got a couple more verses, if you, unless you want to just no, skip out on verses I think nineteen. We, oh to my 22. goodness! Yeah, you know what? My my uh, <laughs> my device froze here, and so it wouldn't scroll. So I thought that was the end. Verse nineteen. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are His house. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. I love that illustration he's using that he is build, God is building his temple and he's using me and he's using you. It's like we're all a brick and the, founda- the foundation is the apostles and Christ is the cornerstone. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You know, the Gentiles did not have access to the temple in Jerusalem. And Paul is helping us understand that that there's a far greater temple that's being built right now. It's in the process of being built. And there's nobody that is kept away from this temple if they're attached to Jesus. Yeah. Well, now now Proverbs Proverbs. 7. Yeah, Proverbs 7 is the corresponding chapter for today. And I just want to point out verse 17. It says... I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. So today, you want to be wise? This is the wisdom <laughs> book. Go home, perfume your bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. No, and we know that everything not. everything is about context. And that's, <laughs> that's, actually, well, that's actually why I bring that up. That's yeah. what you call taking a verse out of context, which you got to be careful with. In fact, some people do this a lot. I'm just going to take one verse. But that verse in context is actually talking about the, a woman who is tempting. seducing. Yes, tempting. Yes. <laughs> tempting. And so verse 21 Dad, you want to read that? Yeah, it says, So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery, made him feel so good. And what came out of all of this? She was was so alluring, offering him sex. And the bed smelled good from verse 17. Yeah, verse 22, he followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. Yeah. You know, of course, of course, sin is pleasurable. Of course, the temptation is alluring, and that's why we give in to it. We wouldn't be attracted to it if it wasn't alluring, if it didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. But the end of this, that's the point. He follows her like an ox going to the slaughter. The yeah. end game of sin is always destruction. Well, you know, I think of, you know, when we were in Africa and we we slaughtered a goat, we made sure to feed that goat really well mm-hmm. for the week leading up to it. And that's kind of what it's talking about with the ox being led to the slaughter. The ox is comfortable, it's eating well, but all it is is just preparation for a slaughter. And that's what sin does to us. It makes us feel good. And then comes the slaughter. Mm-hmm. So don't be slaughtered today. In reality, don't. Stay yeah. away from sin. Absolutely. See it for what it is. Hope you have a great day. Make it a good Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow on Wednesday. Wednesday.